0: Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, joining me on today's program will be returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. I'll get Carl's take on market action this past week. I'll also talk to him about the near implosion of the UK guilt market or the UK bond market this past week, that will be in segments two and three. And it is October, so I have a brand new special report for you. The report is available for free along with some bonus information when you visit the website requestyourreport.com. The October special report is titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. In the report, we'll talk about the difference between an inventory-driven recession and a debt-driven recession, We'll also talk about what often happens to financial asset prices during a debt-driven recession, and the report will also give you strategies to consider presently. To get your copy of the report, as well as the bonus information, visit the website requestyourreport.com. Now, there is some debate presently as to what the definition of a recession actually is, I happen to to subscribe to the long-held and widely accepted definition of a recession, the one that I was taught 30 years ago when I got into this industry, that a recession is two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. Now, based on that definition, we are there now. And in a recession, typically, you see stocks decline, and you see real estate decline. Now, this past week, stocks did post a bit of a rally. I view that rally as counter trend. And as I am recording uh, this segment, because things move very quickly, on Tuesday, October four, understanding that this will air a few days after I record it, um, a lot of things can happen. But at the time I am recording this, the S and P 500 is down somewhere between 22 and 25% year-to-date by my measure. Now, I expect that stocks will ultimately go lower, and the evidence suggests that real estate is now following suit. And I'll be talking to Carl Denninger about this uh, in segments uh, two and three of today's program. Now, Wolf Richter published some data about the real estate market recently in his report. Now, mortgage rates did take a bit of a dip, uh, dropping from the six range down to five percent, but now they have bounced back up again, and they're at about six and a half percent. So, when mortgage rates dropped, there were a lot of real estate professionals about mid-August saying that the market's waking back up. That was just a blip on the screen But now it appears that it is not, as I have long forecast. When you look at the median price of existing single-family houses and condos, where sales closed during the month of August, which is the most recent month for which we have data, we saw that sales prices dropped 3.5% month to month. That means when you look at the average, or excuse me, the median price in July and look at the median sale price in August, prices dropped 3.5% in one month. That's the largest month to month percentage drop going back six and a half years. You have to go back to January of 2016 to see a drop like the one that we just experienced. Now, the percentage drop was much bigger than normal in August, which is seasonally typically a pretty good month for real estate. The year over year price increase, or price decrease, I should say, was down 8% year over year. So the median sale price of a home reached as high as about $420,000 earlier this year, but now it's back to about $390,000. Now, across the United States, when you break it down, condos and co-ops dropped 5.9% month to month. So single-family homes held up a little bit better than that. However, when you take a look at sales overall, sales fell. For the 13th month in a row, and you look at these year over year. So if you look at sales from August of 2022 and compare it to August of 2021, they were lower. Go back 13 months before you find a year over year gain in the amount of sales that occurred in real estate. Now, sales volume has been low because we are in what I believe is a transition period in the real estate market. You have potential sellers who are still hanging on to their properties, aspiring to get the price that maybe they could have gotten a few months ago. That's gonna be very difficult for many of these buyers or these sellers to do because mortgage rates have increased from less than 3% to now 6.5%. If you're buying a $400,000 house, and you're financing 300,000, if the interest rate is 4% higher, your monthly payment is about $1,000 per month more. That takes a lot of buyers out of the market. And that's why I think we're going to see uh, additional price reductions. Now, speaking of price reductions, uh, they have now taken off by sellers who really want to sell. Sellers who are not testing the market, sellers who are not just throwing it out there to see what they might get but sellers who really want to sell are now finding they've got to drop their price to sell according to Mr. Richter quote price reductions started spiking in May from record low levels last winter and spring as sales stalled and as mortgage rates surged in July Price reductions reached the highest level since 2019 according to data from realtor.com. In August, price reductions dipped just a little as sellers might, uh, might have felt that price reductions were less needed because again, mortgage rates came down but it turns down now, turns out now, that was just a blip on the screen. Now if you take a look at active listings, Active listings are up. Inventory is expanding. According to data from Realtor.com, inventory now is almost 800,000 homes in August, which is the highest since October of 2020. So inventory is growing. And home builders say they're having trouble selling the houses they've already built or are building that sales have plunged. Inventories now are at the highest level since 2008. And even home builders who've been building spec houses are now cutting prices um, as mortgage rates are higher, making homes more affordable for many, many buyers. So we have spec houses, houses built by home builders to, with the purpose of selling them. They're speculating on these houses. We have spec houses now with inventories at the highest level since 2008, which was at the time of the great financial crisis. So at that point, housing prices had already experienced a big decline. Housing prices really declined from 2006 to 2008. So it took a couple years for spec house inventory in the prior real estate bear market to reach levels that we see right now. While I've interviewed a number of guests here on the program that would probably disagree with this assessment, it's my take that we could see a bigger decline now than we saw from 2006 to 2008. Should the Fed continue its course of tightening, of increasing interest rates? I believe that this trend will not only continue, I expect it will intensify. The question remains, if the Fed has the ability, should they pivot, should they reverse and start easing again like the Bank of England did last week? The question remains, if the Fed has the ability to pump this market back up again, I have my doubts. That's why I'm offering this month, because I believe we are in a recession. I believe this recession could uh, likely end up to be a pretty deep recession. I'm offering a report titled Anatomy of a Recession. Strategies for the Current Economy. And again, in this month in this month's report, I'll share with you the difference between an inventory-driven recession and a debt-driven recession. I'll talk to you about what often happens to financial asset prices during a debt-driven recession. We just covered that. Uh, to some extent, the report will give you more information. And most importantly, I'll give you some strategies to consider presently. Again, the October special report is being offered only during the month of October. You can get it by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website is requestyourreport.com. And when you do request the report, I'll include a couple copies of my best-selling books. I'll include a copy of the revenue sourcing book, which contains additional strategies for the current economy. And I'll also include for you the last two uh, client-only newsletters you can see the communications uh, that we provide our clients. So again, requestyourreport.com is the website. Let me know where to mail the report and all the information. You'll get a big box of stuff in the mail, and we'll be glad to send it out to you. So again, the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Carl Denninger. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. Uh, Carl is a prolific author. His uh, work can be found at market-ticker.org. And I would encourage you on the right-hand side of the main page to click on the link, click what the media does not want read. Uh, He has a lot of information from a lot of uh, very well-sourced places. And, Carl, welcome back to the program.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me on.
0: I always enjoy talking to you, so let's just jump in, uh, Carl. As we're recording this on October 4, uh, about four days before it actually airs, uh, markets are reacting pretty positively. How do you read this?
1: Uh, well, this this latest Spike uh, brings back to mind the sorts of things that happened in 2008. Uh, If you remember back in 2008, the government decided that they were going to ban shorting financial stocks. (laughs) Doing this caused a furious rally, which uh, ended up not holding, of course. Um, What produced the more durable uh, rally that we saw off the bottom, of course, was when Congress turned around and told uh, FASB, which is the financial regulatory board, that they had to either legalize lying about asset values, or they were going to pass legislation to do it themselves. Uh, so there you had a you know a ten-plus year uh, ramp job that that came about as a result of fraud, and essentially that's what's happened here. We had uh, rumors flying around a few days ago that Credit Suisse along with apparently a number of other organizations uh, and and pension funds in particular in great Britain had been writing levered interest rate swaps. I, I, I can't, you just have to shake your head at that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, At the terminal end of a 40 year trend, when interest rates are near zero uh, swaps are always a speculative instrument to do so with leverage is even more so To allow a bank which has a fiduciary responsibility to every person in the nation because their deposits are backed by public insurance uh, to engage in speculative behavior is crazy. Anybody that does that ought to go to prison the the finance ministers as such within the government and regulatory apparatus that allow that should all go to jail, and their families should all be thrown into the street, living you know refrigerator box under a freeway overpass, because in the end, what that basically does is says that you you can steal money from people through these instruments, and when it goes bad, somebody else is going to have to pay for it. You don't you don't get charged for it. Somebody else has to. Um, but there were rumors that Credit Suisse was in a great deal of trouble and, and uh, so were a bunch of pension funds over in England. And so the Bank of England uh, came out with an announcement that it was basically going to do both QE and QT at the same time, which, of course, is impossible. And uh, this also came on the back of the uh, another uh, statement that the uh, the British government was going to cut taxes into an inflationary spike. Uh, that's that's crazy too. <laughs> okay, so you had those things happen that produced the first the first level of the ramp job, uh, and then uh, people believed it. We got a huge move up in the market, and then uh, on the back of that, we got the jobs report, which is job openings. And that's way down, uh, which implies, of course, that uh, that companies are laying off and are are pulling off uh, off the market, if you will, uh, openings that they were previously looking to fill. This has accelerated uh, the belief that the Fed is going to pivot and stop raising rates. And in fact, there was an expedited hearing uh, meeting yesterday. It was closed door uh, at the Federal Reserve on exactly that topic. Now, those expedited procedures meetings are not all that uncommon. Um, but what Pavlov's dog thought was that we were going to get a, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon announcement that, uh, you know, that the Fed was going to actually stop raising rates or maybe even cut them. And so uh, this, this has produced a furious rally in the market. But the truth is, is, is that if you do any of those things into an inflationary environment, you're just going to make the inflation worse.
0: Carl, a couple of things I want to go back and revisit here. And if you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with Mr. Carl Denninger. Uh, you can read his work at market-ticker.org. Uh, I want to go back and talk about pensions too, Carl, but but let's just talk about the Fed. I mean, aren't they kind of in a damned if they do and damned if they don't situation? I mean, we, we are, uh, in my view, we're in recession and continuing to raise rates to get inflation under control exacerbates that and reversing feeds this inflation monster. So, I mean, can the Fed win here?
1: No. But the problem is is that it's not the Fed's fault. Okay? The the responsibility is in fact in Congress and it's in us. It's and and the people that are screaming now that the Fed must stop, the Fed must stop this, the Fed must stop this. Uh, are the same people who are saying, but if you don't, my house price is going to collapse by 50%. Well, yes, it is. Uh, What made you think that the 50% rise actually had anything to do with real value? It it did not. Uh, Why uh, have people been trained to use a home as something other than shelter, as a speculative instrument against which they they can draw off funds and spend on other things? Okay, that's crazy. It's, that's just crazy land stuff. Uh, the idea that time has no value is what has underlay all of this for the last 10 plus years. The, uh, but we all know that's nonsense. We get up every morning. We go take a shower. We go do our thing. Uh, and the, whatever you spend your time on today, you can never get back. You can never have that day over again. You can never, you know, if you, if you decide to go to the bar tonight and suck down six beers and and the next day you have a head-banging hangover as a result, Um, you could not have that day back. You could have spent that afternoon building something or doing something productive. Instead, you chose to spend it on on a leisure activity. That's fine. Uh, But you could never recover it. And yet, the idea of a zero interest rate is to say that time has no value. That's the declaration that you're making with zero interest rates. Time has no value, and every single one of us, from a child forward, knows that's a lie.
0: So Carl, let's go back and 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 take what you just said and apply it to pensions because pensions have been put in a very difficult situation. Uh, you know the traditional defined benefit pension plans really uh, use actuarial assumptions to you know make make some reasonable assumption as what they can earn on their assets safely. This low-interest environment has obviously not allowed them to, to meet the assumptions that were used, and that has led to some of this speculation um, and leverage. So what do you see ahead for pensions? I mean, I, I see some storm clouds on the horizon for pensions.
1: Well, think, think about the, the basic premise here behind the pension, okay? The, the, the premise is that the entity that set it up, whether it's a government or a private company, pays into a fund in advance of your retirement and and that then allows uh, the you know the forward obligation that is to you to be met right I mean that's that's the idea behind it. That's the the basis of a pension. Um, okay, uh, this is this is not a bad thing. this is a good thing. but what has happened? is that if rates go down because somebody has determined that we have to do this for some other reason, then the pension fund is supposed to go back to the entity that's funding it and say, hey guys, uh, where you were giving us $100 every pay period out of everyone's paycheck in order to fund this pension, it now needs to be $130 because we can't, we can't get a, a safe return anymore uh, because interest rates are zero. Well, rather than do that, these people lied. They went out and they took on leverage as a, as a means of doing it. That's crazy. That's just crazy. And people who did it should all go to prison. And those entities should be liquidated to pay for this. And I look. I know. I understand this would mean private companies would be bankrupted by it. Fine. Uh, it also, however, means that those government institutions that put this kind of thing together, government schemes, uh, those entities need to be destroyed, and their assets sold off in order to pay these, these things. Uh, and in the case of state pensions, uh, the, the, con- the so-called constitutional protection against them being abrogated, I'm sorry, you can't get blood from a stone. That which can't happen won't. And if you think you could just indefinitely raise property and other taxes in order to pay for this, no, you can't. But the people who live in these states and in these municipalities, you voted for this. You allowed it to go on. Stop it.
0: So, Carl, we've got just a couple of minutes left in this segment, so we'll probably have to pick this conversation up on the other side. Uh, but when you look at what happened last week in the U.K. with the Bank of England literally, you know, creating – I think it was 65 billion pounds out of thin air to make sure that uh, pensions having to meet uh, margin calls, uh, you know, had a market to sell bonds. I mean, th- this whole thing just about imploded in the U.K. last week.
1: Yeah, it very nearly did. And, um, it, and it's coming and it's coming here. The, the, uh, the idea that this could go on on a permanent basis, if the Fed actually does react to this, it does actually pivot then the result is that you're going to see the destruction of everyone's standard of living, including those people who didn't do anything wrong, because the inflation problem is not going to go away. And uh, as I have always said, it does not matter how many dollars you have. It matters. What matters is what
0: they buy. That's exactly right. Well, my guest today is Mr. Carl Denninger. I would encourage you to check out his work at market-ticker.org. Carl is a uh, prolific author, and uh, I think, Carl, we've got just a second here in this segment, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your book, uh, Leverage, How Cheap Money Will Destroy the World, was written about 10 years ago, and turned out to be pretty prophetic.
1: Yeah, and uh, surprisingly enough, it hasn't been remaindered yet. It's still out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to continue our conversation with Mr. Carl Benninger when RLA Radio Returns. Stay with us. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Kuberkin, and I have the pleasure today of chatting once again with returning guest Carl Denninger. Uh, If you're just joining me today, uh, Carl's website is market-ticker.org. He is a prolific author and commentator, uh, one of the hardest-working researchers, I think, that I get an opportunity to interview. Uh, and, And, Carl, we talked in the last segment about you know, pensions and all the the, the, the looming issues out there and inflation. So given what the Fed's choices are, one, uh, get inflation under control, and we go into what will likely be a deep recession, or two, uh, they capitulate. They say, ah, we can't win the inflation battle, so let's at least try to keep things afloat. What are they going to do?
1: Well, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, uh, you know, Jerome Powell has talked up a good game. Uh, There's a lot of people that think that Volcker – Uh, went overboard in the 1970s, early 1980s, and that he should have stopped long before he did. The truth is, is that, at least in my opinion, he did exactly what he had to do. What he needed to do was impress upon people in the markets, whether it be the housing market, whether it be the banking system, whatever, uh, or Congress for that matter, that we are not going to react to you throwing a temper tantrum by allowing you to restart the leveraged game we're just not going to do it and you can scream all you want but we're going to break the pavlovian response so the next time the bell rings you are not standing there waiting for the (laughs) stake okay and that's the reason he went as far and as fast and as hard as he did and it has to be done again because the root of this problem lies in congress it does not lie in the federal reserve It does not lie in the private banking industry. It lies in Congress. Congress shoved trillions of dollars into the economy that was entirely unjustified, every penny of it. We had a virus that came to play in the United States. It it created havoc, but that had nothing to do with the economic reality of it. The we have have 40 years worth of academic knowledge that says that the right thing to do in the event of a pandemic virus of some kind is is to do nothing, essentially, uh, from an economic perspective, to do as little as you possibly can. Yes, it's going to hurt. Um, however, it does less or no long term damage and whatever. Toll is going to be taken by the virus and the people is going to be taken. There isn't anything you could do about it. And all of your economic nostrums that you try to put out there are going to make it worse. So, of course, we followed exactly zero of that advice, even though we've had decades of academic study on this. Uh, and, and it's continued. We, uh, then, you know, of course, the latest thing out of the Biden administration uh, was using the pandemic as justification for taking several hundred billion dollars worth of student loans off the books. Uh, but you can't take them off the books. You could just force somebody else to pay for them. So what did that do? That showed up immediately in inflation, and is going to continue to. This must stop. And uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate if you are one of those people that bought into this and levered yourself up, and you you became one of Pavlov's dogs. You're gonna you're gonna get hurt, maybe very badly. But that needs to happen, because if you think about this, if I'm a business person. And you are running a company and you go bankrupt and I can buy your building and your machinery for 10 cents on the dollar that you paid for it five or 10 years ago. That is to everyone's benefit except in the economy, except yours, because now I open up the new factory or the new bank or whatever it is. My costs are lower. And that means that what I sell to the public costs less it is of equal or higher quality. That is what you as a consumer want. You want that to happen. Now, the person who ends up busted in the street or they get, the people who get laid off, well, they, of course, don't want it to happen. But in terms of the common benefit for the population and for humanity, that's what you want, is that you want people that do stupid things to have to pay for it because somebody else feasts on that and makes a profit.
0: Carl, it seems to me that we are definitely um, in a recession here, and it sounds like from uh, your last comments uh, you would agree, although I don't mean to put words in your mouth. How deep does this get?
1: Well, I think it gets pretty nasty. Um, Frankly, I would not be at all surprised if this is formally a depression. Um, As I pointed out in Leverage over 10 years ago, we should have stopped this crazy after 2000 with the tech wreck. And rather than stop it, we bailed it out, and the excuse that we used, of course, was 9/11, which you know, which came about a year after the tech wreck started. And then in 2007 and 2008, uh, we had stoked a huge housing and and real estate bubble in general. Uh, Rather than take the medicine, then we bailed that out, Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, the pandemic came, and and we did even more crazy things. And it's not just the United States; it's global the the more you compound back into this, the worse the damage is that has to be absorbed. So what we're talking about at this point is a very deep and nasty recession, probably a loss, in the, I, I would not be surprised when markets trade uh, S&P 1576 again. Uh, and frankly, it would shock me if we traded down to the 2009 lows uh, in terms of housing and other real estate and, and similar investments. Uh, I, I think you're going to see most, if not all, of the gains of the last five to 10 years come right back off.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. And, and Carl, you know, I, I read uh, some data that we have private sector debt levels today. You talked about leverage. Private sector debt levels today are on par when measured as a percentage of the economy with where we were in 1929. So when you use the word uh, depression, it's kind of a scary word, but. Uh, the data seems to indicate that uh, that's kind of where we are.
1: Well, yeah, that's, and, and uh, you know, nobody wishes to acknowledge this. Nobody wishes to talk about this, uh, because if if you look at the polling, and it's been consistent over my entire adult life, everyone says Congress sucks, but they all keep voting to send their guy back. Okay, so uh, Congress sucks except my congressperson. <laughs> okay. Well, why? Because your congressperson takes somebody else's money and brings it home and sprinkles it all around your district. That's why. Um it it's not that hard to figure out what the what the mechanism is, but this uh, this has to stop and the idea that we can manage this business you know, manage the business cycle and we can make it go away, it's never been true. It's never going to be true. The reality of it is, is that people get over-exuberant. It always happens. People are always more confident than they should be, and they're but they're also more depressed than they should be on the other side. Uh, you know, how many people get all cranked off about this or that? The other thing really isn't all that big of a deal. And and so, it, you know, it's, it's the normal human reaction. It's, it's just the way humans are. Trying to prevent that is very, very bad in the general sense because, again, it is it is the ability to do more with less that defines human productivity. And one of the ways that you do more with less is capitalizing on other people's mistakes.
0: So, Carl, you mentioned real estate. Um, seems to me that, uh, you know, prior to, uh, as of last week anyway, last week, Friday, I think uh, the markets were down just about uh, using the S&P 500, about 25% year to date. And yet valuations Using the Buffett indicator, were still higher than they were at the at the time of the tech stock bubble, and now it seems that, uh, at least from what I've seen, I'd like your take. It seems that the real estate numbers are starting to break down a bit.
1: Yeah, they are, and and one of the problems that you're seeing within the markets, and this this applies in real estate as well, is that the the concept of taking debt and never actually paying it off, and how many people have done this with even in their own residence? Okay, you get a loan. A few years later, the interest rates are lower, so you refinance, get a lower payment, but you restart the amortization schedule. And, and essentially, you are mimicking what corporations have done for the last 40 years. They never pay anything off. They roll it over, and it always costs them less to do. When you do this, it goes directly to your earnings. It shows up as a larger earnings number on the bottom of your balance sheet. You look at any public company, you'll see this. This pattern has been there forever. And this is what drives the valuations and ultimately drives stock prices. What the presumption is is that it can go on forever. And, of course, it can't because you you can't go below zero. When it stops and reverses, that same benefit that you get turns into cost. And so what we're looking at today is that, this is exactly what you're seeing. Prices have come down, but earnings have just started to drop. When you take that debt level and then you look at what the interest expense is going to be across a corporation's debt at, at say, 6% or 7% instead of 2%, um, well, gee, that comes right off the top line, which means the E number goes down. That means the P.E. number goes up right? So now all of a sudden, what used to look like a decent price earnings number is actually crazy. And as a result, stock prices collapse. And that's and we're nowhere near the end of that. That's going to be going on now for years.
0: So, Carl, is there a way, in your view, for the Fed to engineer a soft landing? Uh, or are we just going to have to take our medicine here?
1: Well, I think we have to take the medicine. They're going to try to find a way to prevent it from happening because that's what they've, you know, what they've done over the last thirty or forty years. But I don't think they can succeed. And furthermore, if they do try to pull something like this off, with the trade sequestration essentially stopped as a result of the Russian-Ukraine war, uh, which is a large part of why they've gotten away with this for the last twenty years or so, is is all trade sequestration in dollars. That's gone uh any attempt to do this is simply going to reflect back into inflation and that destroys the entire point of doing it because you know your eggs go from two dollars a dozen to four dollars a dozen well everybody's got to buy food and we're seeing the same sort of thing look at what's happening in oil you have opec turning around saying they're going to actually cut output um why well because demand's collapsing and all you have to do to see that is the spread between diesel fuel, which runs heavy trucks, and gasoline? Gasoline has come down substantially, except in places like California where they're deliberately trying to screw people. Uh, in fact, we're at $3 a gallon here. Diesel's still, I was just on a trip up into Michigan. There was a $2 spread between regular gas and diesel. I've never seen
0: anything like that before. Just shows you the big trucks are still running and the. Uh... You know, the the everyday common citizen is not driving like they used to.
1: Well, that's right. But that's demand destruction. That's exactly what happens in a recession.
0: Well, my guest today has been Mr. Carl Denninger. His website is market-ticker.org. Carl, I always get amazing feedback when you're on the program, so I'd love to have you back down the road. And thank you for taking time out to chat with us today. Anytime. Thank you much. We'll return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Carl Benninger, for joining me on today's program. As I mentioned in the first segment, my special report for the month of October is titled Anatomy of a Recession Strategies for the Current Economy. And if you'd like to get a copy of that report, as well as a couple of copies of my best-selling books that will have strategies for the current economy. All you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com, and I'll be very glad to send it to you. You'll get a big box of stuff, absolutely free and without any further obligation. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. So when it comes to talking about a recession, I want to give you a little bit of background about me, and I do so at the risk of giving away my age. But for the past 30 years or so, I have been watching the economy and the financial markets. Over that time, I've interviewed hundreds of economic experts, investing analysts, and even some politicians. And during a lot of these interviews, the topic of recession came up and never once was the definition of a recession debated. A recession has always been defined as two consecutive quarters of economic contraction or negative economic growth. Now, that all changed this year when some of the ruling class attempting to make the economy seem better than it actually is suggested that two consecutive quarters of economic contraction didn't necessarily mean the economy was in a recession. While this is far from the first time that politicians and policymakers change the definition of an economic phenomenon to attempt to make economic conditions seem better than reality, it is the most recent. Over the years, the unemployment rate, the inflation rate, and the money supply have all been redefined to make the reported numbers seem more palatable. While the reported numbers did become more favorable after these redefinitions, the reality didn't change. The same is true of this latest attempt to redefine what a recession is. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but it doesn't make the reality any different. Technically speaking, the U.S. economy is in a recession. We have experienced two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. Now, I believe we could see a brief bounce in the gross domestic product numbers, but the data, at least from my perspective, seems to point to a deep recession. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the data to the extent that I have time in this segment, but first I want to talk about the two types of recessions. There is an inventory-driven recession and there is a debt-driven recession. An inventory-driven recession has production getting ahead of consumption, resulting in excess inventories of products. After a period of time, consumption catches up, and then the economy begins to grow again. Now, a debt-driven recession is a different animal altogether. A debt-driven recession occurs when there's been significant spending that's been financed by debt accumulation. In other words, people are borrowing to spend. And once debt accumulation reaches a point that no more debt can be added to the amount of collective debt outstanding, in other words, once we've reached our collective limit on the credit card, consumption slows or stops and it doesn't begin again until debt levels are reduced to the point that consumers have combined discretionary spending ability again. In other words, to go back and use the credit card analogy, there's got to be room on the credit card for purchases. Now, the Great Depression, and I talked with Carl Denninger about this uh, in the last segment, the Great Depression was a debt-driven economic downturn. Due to the easy money policies employed by the Federal Reserve after its formation in 1913, Private sector debt levels reached about 240% of economic output by 1929. That means there was $2.40 in debt for every $1 of economic production. At that point, the cumulative limit on the credit card was reached and the Great Depression began. Now, I believe that we are headed for another debt-driven recession. At the end of calendar year 2020, private sector debt was 235% of economic output. That's very, very close to the 240% we saw in 1929 and is a very high number. Now, that is an unsettling statistic in and of itself, but there is another layer to this onion. The US dollar which is the currency in which U.S. economic output is measured, is a mere shadow of its former self. So the metric, the U.S. dollar or the measuring stick that's used to measure GDP has been depreciating, which means the reported economic numbers have been higher than what they would have been had the dollar not been depreciating. Now let me give you a quick example. In 1971, U.S. economic output or GDP was about 1.1 trillion. If we increase that number uh, by the deflation rate of the dollar priced in gold, we get 24.75 trillion, and the GDP in 2021 was 22.99 trillion. So. In real terms, has the U.S. economy grown or has the number that's reported, because it's reported in dollars, simply made it seem like GDP was expanding, when in real terms, it hasn't been. What's really unsettling about this, even more than debt levels, is that we're experiencing economic contraction measured in U.S. dollars as the U.S. dollar is being rapidly devalued. That's why I believe the debt-driven recession that I believe we're moving into has the potential to be severe. That's why I am offering the October special report titled Anatomy of a Recession Strategies for the Current Economy. If you decide to get this report or request this report by visiting requestyourreport.com, I'd be glad to send it to you. And in the report, we'll learn more and discuss more about the differences between an inventory-driven recession and a debt-driven recession. And we'll talk about what happens to financial asset prices typically during a debt-driven recession. And I'll give you some strategies to consider for your situation. So again, the October special report, Anatomy of a Recession Strategies for the Current Economy. All you need to do to get your copy is visit requestyourreport.com The website, again, requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.